7.06, and boys, get ready. Huge show on tap for you tonight. It's Iron Sports, 95.9 True Oldies Channel. There is so much going on in the world of sports. We've got the NHL uh, pretty much cementing their playoff season as we speak. The NBA uh, Finals are just absolutely incredible right now. We've got some strange results throughout the, through the first game, and we're going to kick off Golden State in Houston just about 9 p.m. tonight. In addition to that, Ira... You got some very special guests tonight. Trevor Bauer, general manager of the Detroit Pistons. Also, Dan Wallach, sports gambling attorney, to talk about what's going on in this country right now. This was a huge day in sports without anything actually happening sports-wise yet. Just absolutely crazy. Uh, I'm really excited about this. This is going to be a great show on Iron Sports. But we, we start every show with Ira, where you've been. And I got to tell you, every week you come in and you do something over the past week that I'm like, man, I wanted to do that forever. But this week, you knocked off a, a total bucket list item for me. Where were you this week? The Players' Championship up in Jacksonville at Sawgrass. It was a absolutely tremendous tournament. I've heard so many good things about it, and it, it met all expectations. Let's talk about first just the course. It, we know it's a stadium course, and that means that it's just set up for spectators. And you said it was just phenomenal. Normally, when you walk to a golf course, you're, you're on a golf course and there's houses around the course. This is designed like you're going to a football stadium or a baseball mm. stadium. You can sit at every hole. It's sunken in. You can sit on ledge. On, there's re- room around all the holes to watch. The parking lot is right there. It parks thousands of cars. You just park your car, walk in. The Honda is fantastic. Mm. The Honda is great and it does a lot of things. But convenience-wise, this is just perfect. You really feel like you're just going to a sporting event. We'll, we'll talk more about the comparisons in just a little bit because that's something that you always wonder. Uh, the Honda is the only golf tournament I've, I've ever attended. So you don't know, uh, you know, as comparatively how it r- ranks to other tournaments. Parking, though, like, that's amazing. You said that. I was in total disbelief. You can just pull right up there. You can pull up, you park, and there are so many concessions. The VIP section is great, but you don't even need a VIP ticket. I have never seen more food. It's like going to Disney World with the food really? offerings. So much food. Everyone's walking around having a good time. It is a tremendous tournament. The course is magnificent between all the water and the flowers, and, and it's manicured perfectly. Amazing. Do you want to talk more about the course? Because you know when I watch on TV – the players is always one of my favorites to watch, and it's because the the you know TPC Sawgrass is just absolutely beautiful. I love Augusta; it's the most visually appealing course on TV. How does that course actually look in person? It is it's as, it's as advertised, and being able to walk around the course and see every hole. I walked all eighteen holes with Tiger, followed him the whole day on Saturday. You could walk through, and you could see on every hole. You don't have to be fighting to be uh, to try to get a space and see. I mean, he's thousands, hundreds. Of, I mean, thousands of people were following Tiger, and most people could still see him hit every shot. And we know that that's. Not rare for most tournaments. It's, it's a struggle to see Tiger, and you'll have to sometimes skip a hole or you know skip shots just to keep up with him. And that's what intrigues me so much about seeing something at TPC Sawgrass. Tell us more about the tournament in general, some of the comparisons that you draw maybe to the Honda or any other golf tournament you've attended. Well, the only major difference, I, one of the, the major differences is that there is no clubhouse. So after the tournament was over on Saturday, everybody left. At the Honda, everyone's hanging out at the mm-hmm. clubhouse. They're staying around. The it's golfers a social are event. There. It's a social event. Uh, people by the end of the, on Saturday around six o'clock, people, when Webb Simpson was finishing, people were almost all gone. Um, the 16th and seven, the 17th hole, that Island Green, even as it's amazing to watch it on TV, it's even better when you're there. Mm-hmm. They can sit all around and see it. It is very exciting. That my pictures that I took were tremendous. Uh, and it's just beautiful. It's, the best hole, the most famous hole in all of golf. It is definitely the most famous hole in all of golf. That's why I want to ask you, where did you set up? Well, I mean, there's so many options. Well, I bought a VIP. It's funny. You can buy a VIP ticket for Sawgrass, and the VIP ticket that gets me into the places was half the price what you would buy for the Honda. Mm-hmm. So even though I followed around, I sometimes walked over there. But you can go right behind. When Tiger was hitting, I was literally... 15 feet behind him That's because amazing. there's so much room because the hills you have that's like an amphitheater so you can mm. fit so many more people to watch what's going on when i'm at the honda i love setting up on the bear trap i love 15 i love 16 and 17 you're right though and if you don't get there early you're not getting a good spot there and i like to be you know where they tee off from the hole you can see but i like to be there watching so that's amazing that you know a tournament as big as that i'm sure their attendance is more than the honda you know over, over the course of the four days to be able to um you know Keep the fan experience there really just makes it so exciting for me. 7-Eleven, Iron Sports, 95.9 True Oldies Channel. Mike and Sean were here as well. Tiger Woods, you were there on Saturday. That was his best round 
ever in the players. Shot a 65. Tell us about it. Well, it was. I watched it on TV on Thursday and Friday. He was, of course, paired with Phil Mickelson and Ricky Fowler. Great group. This great grouping. We're watching it, and Fowler was struggling. Mickelson was struggling. Mickelson was wearing a long sleeve shirt. It was a hundred degree temperature because <laughs> he's an investor in the company, and he thought if he wore this the, in the shirt, and so I think that affected it. And it was interesting. Fowler on Friday hit a ball in a tree, and he could not yeah. locate the ball. And that happened at the Honda when Harrington hit the ball in the mm-hmm. tree. You could see the ball, but he could identify that it was his ball. And I was at the Riviera, and Tiger did the same thing because they hit the balls in these palm trees. I think it's a terrible rule. Everybody saw the ball go mm. in there. It's his tree. But that's what cost him from missing the cut. And Tiger was at minus one when he finished in the, in the early afternoon. And I, everyone said he's going to make the cut. He's going to make the cut. But then suddenly the cut line moved to minus two. So minus one was going to be out. Mm. And it took on the 18th hole, Jordan Spieth and uh, Justin Thomas bogeyed the 18th hole to somehow put the way the cut list worked that 70 mm. and ties get in. It put Tiger in because it, they, it put uh, the minus one in after they, they bogeyed the hole. And then he obviously shot a minus seven on Saturday. So it, mm-hmm. it, there, there was a reason for him to be there. Um, before we get back to the Tiger, I have a question for you, Ira, because you, you were watching it well. you think that Ricky Fowler was affected playing with Phil and Tiger? He's one of the best, you know, one of the biggest golfers on tour, name-wise. But he's not always with guys like that. And he's a lot of the time with his buddies. You'll see him with Justin Thomas, you know, guys like this that, that he's good friends with. Um, do you think that Ricky's play was affected by being with the two biggest personalities in golf? I think it affected Phil and Ricky. I think that, the, as again, Tiger, it was funny. When Tiger ended on, on Thursday or Friday, he said, well, the crowd thinned out at the end. Like, he was upset the crowd thinned mm-hmm. out. Like, he goes, and that's why I think he came out on Saturday. He goes, I'm going to show everybody that I don't play in front of small crowds. When Tiger's <laughs> on the course, Tiger's going to have the crowds. He was upset about that. So I think that I think it affected Phil and Ricky, the fact that the crowds, as we've talked about again and again on the show, Tiger's crowds are different. I followed Webb Simpson on Saturday. There might have been 50 people mm-hmm. following him. Yeah. Webb Simpson could be at the Gardens Mall right now. Nobody would know who he is. And he has an H7 stroke lead at the time, and no one was following him. Sean McGregor's here as well. Sean, you think it's a matter of time before Tiger's back in the winner's circle? Well, yeah. I mean, Tiger even came out and said um, uh, you know, on Sunday that it's, it, it is only a matter of time. He feels that. Uh, the tides are turning, and, and you know when you look at him, um, you know just just the way he finished up. You know, I believe it was the sixty five, and then on Sunday, uh, I believe he shot a sixty nine. I mean, he's he's back. Uh, it's just it's stringing it together for four solid rounds. Um, you know, and and we're seeing other guys where where we point out. I mean, he's feeding off the crowds again. I mean, even when you know it was kind of like you were waiting for Tiger to to fail, and that's where you're going. Now everybody's rooting for him again. You know, the the just the whole um, where the it felt like the whole entire fan base was kind of against him because everything that mm-hmm. happened. Now they're all rooting for because we want Tiger back. Um, we kind of want him to save golf. So. Um, it's just exciting to see him come back, play as well as he has, um, and and he's only a few shots off. I mean, when you when you go back and you you, you look at you know his weekend, um, you know, in that that first round, I mean, it wasn't like there was major blunders here and there. I mean, it's just a one shot here, one shot there. I you know, and this guy's vying for you know a top three spot here. So um, I think it's only a matter of time, and and the proof's in the pudding as you watch. Ira, what do you think? Tiger is your favorite golfer ever. You love the guy. How long until he's back as a champion? On Saturday, he looked amazing. He had eight birdies. Eight birdies in 12 holes. He could have had 10 birdies in 12 holes. Uh, he was rolling on Saturday. He shot the 65. Could have easily shot a 62 again. And then on Sunday, again, he went from being, let's understand this, he was in last place. He was in 78 mm-hmm. place or whatever place you <laughs> yeah. want to call him. And suddenly on Sunday, at one moment, he's tied for second place. He yeah. had his 14 under and Webb Simpson was at 18 under. So he was close to coming up there. Then he bogeyed on 14 and then he hit the balls in the water on 17. Mm. And besides that, he played almost a perfect round on and, uh, so he's had two whole days of just amazing golf, uh, driving the ball. He, everything was coming together. He, he is, first of all, you look at somebody, he has all this skill and all the, the ability and also now the knowledge of knowing these courses, know where to place the ball, mm-hmm. that, and the ability to hit these shots with the pressure, with the fans screaming, it's all going to come together. Yeah. So what do you think, and I, I mean, I'm assuming there's going to be some time off for him now. He'll probably take off the AT&T. When do you think we'll see him back in action, and when do you think this win comes? Um, I'm not going to predict when the win's going to come, but it's tough to do. He has it's golf. To, he's trying to quote The question is, can he get in the World Golf Championship events? He's trying, he moved up from to 80th in the world, so I think you're just going to. And they ask him questions about where he's going to play. He's keeping everything sort of under wraps where he's going to play next. But I'm sure every tournament that he doesn't normally play in, he might want to go to. Dan Wallach, our sports gambling attorney, joins us uh, right about 7:50 to talk about 
gambling might be legal throughout the country, or at least uh, states are going to have their choice to make it legal in their states. But the uh, Supreme Court has said that you guys are willing to do that. Also, Trevor Bauer, general manager of the Detroit Pistons, joins us uh, right about – oh, Jeff Bauer joins us at uh, 740. Ira, before we move on from golf, Justin Thomas, the guy's good. He's the fourth youngest ever world number one. But do you think he's the best golfer in the world right now? Well, that's how the world golf ratings work. And Dustin, yeah. Yeah. Dustin Johnson struggled a little bit. Um, and it's just, they just move up. It depends on, they look back two years and these ratings. Uh, I think it's, it's interesting that you, how you're ranked, if you're ranked one or whatever. But people right now, it's not as important. I, yeah. I think they're just looking, do you win majors? Uh, it's nice that you've been not ranked number one, but did you win the major? Or did you not win the major? That's all people are questioning. About. It, it, it is true. Dustin Johnson was the number one for 60 something weeks, which is kind of crazy because I didn't, he won some tournaments, but I would never say he was the best. Best golfer, golfer in the, in the world. world yeah. Sean, what about you? You think uh, Justin Thomas, best golfer in the world? No, I, you know, it, it's tough. I mean, it's on paper, yeah, I guess, you know, we're going to go with him. But even when you look at the rankings, I mean, some of the guys that you have there, um, you know, in the top, you know, five, I mean, you know, you got Fowler's in there, um, Rams in there, Dustin Johnson, and all these guys. I mean, I think it's the top five or top six. They're separated by like less than 100 points. I mean, so one tournament win for either of these guys is going to shoot them up to number one. So, um, you know, I really don't think it means what it used to when Tiger was there and dominating the way that he was. Um, and, and, and Ira brought up a really good point, too. I mean, Tiger right now, I think, is, is ranked the 80th golfer in the world. If anybody thinks Tiger Woods is the 80th best golfer in the world, <laughs> I mean, what are we, what are we talking about? And I think also, too, for just, Justin Thomas, he's still young. You know, he's been on the tour for a few years, but the knowledge of it, I, you know, I'll take a lot of guys over him simply because when it comes to major time, you know, I trust the Jordan Spieth of the world. I trust Rory, Ricky, you know, the guys that have done it you know day in day out um you know for a longer amount of time and even tiger um so so i just think that it's 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 not what it it's not what it used to mean uh you know when when tiger woods uh was was handling that number one uh, spot you want to know it's interesting phil mickelson 49 career wins never world number one yeah, a guy named Tiger Woods hanging around. So you're right. Maybe the meaning isn't necessarily what it is. It's based off cumulative uh, rather than what you're doing right, mm-hmm. right at that moment. Before we get into basketball, Ira, I'll kind of tie this together. Tiger Woods and LeBron James, we got to see just a, a level of dominance in a sport that we haven't seen in a long, long time. How do you compare the two as far as athletes go, even though it's different sports? Well, it was exciting this weekend because you're, you're on Sunday, I'm switching back between, or watching both, one on computer, one on TV, and you're watching Tiger and you're watching LeBron. And they're playing the games and Tiger's competing against Webb Simpson, but really Tiger's competing against Jack Nicholas. I mean, these are both, mm-hmm. um, they're both born on the same day. They're, the birthday is the exact same day, not the same year because one's nine years older, but they're both born on the same day. And they both came and said, I'm going to be the best in the world. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately for both, the one they said, their standard bearer is very high. Jack Nicholas had 18 majors and Tiger said, I got to win 18 majors. And LeBron James says, I only better than Michael Jordan. And Michael Jordan is unquestionably the greatest player of all time. So it wasn't like Tom Brady just emerged on the scene <laughs> in basketball and played or Roger Federer just somehow started winning tournaments in tennis. They're, they're, the, the, the destination they had to reach is very far out. Yeah. And now both of them have clearly been either one or they're number two. Some people say they're one. Some mm. people say two. But they're still battling yeah. and they still won. So when they're on the course, they're not really going against these other players. LeBron is saying, I'm going to be better than Jordan. I yeah. want there. And, they, right. and they've had, look, Tiger had his back problems. Tiger was on that special pace. He was about to do it and he wasn't, and now that's set him back. LeBron, LeBron, after he won, beat Golden State Warriors and he won his third title, he's like, now I'm going to win titles. And suddenly Durant goes to Golden State and creates yeah. a super team <laughs> against him. Thanks, so <laughs> that's what's, what's amazing is to watch how great these two guys are going. Um, and people say for the NBA Finals, I don't know if I want to see Cleveland in the Finals. I want to see the, yeah, one of the greatest players of all time try to upset one of the greatest basketball teams of all time. Yeah, of yeah. course I do. I, I, I think, you know, and the, the, the biggest difference between these guys, right, and who they're chasing, right? Michael Jordan, you know, especially when you go back and you look at the time, right? You know, these guys were phenoms their whole lives. I mean, people in the golf world knew who Tiger Woods was when he was an amateur, and I mean, young as a teenager. Mm-hmm. Everybody knew who LeBron James was, you know, as a teenager playing the going AU, Akron, playing yeah. the ABC uh, uh, tournament for Adidas, playing the Nike uh, tournament. Um, you know, where Jordan was, you know, he didn't come out what till he was a junior in college. I mean, you know, LeBron James was appointed the chosen one when he was you know 16 years old. So to see the way that they've done it 
with the immense pressure that was put on not just by themselves to be the best and then chase the ghosts of Michael Jordan and Jack Nichol, uh, Nicholas, to do it with the amount of pressure that they've faced since they were Children, I mean, teenagers, younger than that. I mean, Tiger Wood, how many how many amateur tournaments uh, or uh, um, titles does he have? I think he had like 13 or some crazy number. I mean, you know, so they've been doing it at such, such a long age with so much pressure from the outside world. And then also, too, now the world that we live in where everything is instant reaction, um, you know, where, where it's on demand. Everybody has an opinion. They could put it on Twitter. I mean, you know, I'm not saying what Tiger did was great, but, you know, if this happens 40 years ago to what he did, you know, in terms of, you know, the Nobody scandal, I think, yeah. does anybody even hear about it? I mean, you know, so that's where, you know, we live in a day and age where we build our heroes up just to tear them down now, you know. So for them to over- overcome everything from their beginning to be, be chasing the greats that they are, I mean, it's 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 unbelievable to see what these two guys have done in their careers and it's it's awesome for us to sit here and say we got to see these guys do it 722 iron sports 95.9 true oldies channel mike and sean we're here as well dan wallach our expert uh, gambling and sports attorney joins us at 740 also jeff bauer general manager detroit pistons right about 750 Let's get into basketball, Ira. And I want to talk about, obviously, the Western Conference Finals kick off tonight at 9 p.m. But first, you must have been a little upset yesterday watching. Boston was up 20 points in the first quarter and never looked back. They went 108-83, to 25 points over Cleveland. What do you think, guy? First game of the year on October 17th, the Cavaliers played uh, Boston. And that's the game that Gordon Hayward, the star Boston yep. player, got injured. So really throw that game out, the Cavs won. On January 3rd, they lost to Boston in Boston by 14 points. Um, maybe throw that out. Rozier scored 20 points that game. But after the trade deadline, they played. And the Cavaliers beat Boston in Boston by 22 points. And Kyrie played. But Clarkson, the new the new additions uh, mm. of the Cavaliers, Clarkson and Hood, scored 17 and 15. So... I, I was very confident that the Cavaliers would probably roll through this series. And I still am very confident. But when you don't try in a game, you lose. I don't care how good you are. But they were lazy on offense. They were lazy on defense. Yeah. LeBron had a minus 32 Two, plus yeah, that, minus rating, which was – I went through – yeah, It won't happen again. Reference. I can promise game that. Game <laughs> three against the Spurs in 2013 when they lost by 30, 60, minus 32. Game five against the Celtics in 2010, he had a minus uh, uh, 22. And then he had a minus 31 against Detroit in game one at 15 points it was absolutely uh, a tr- horrendous performance I watched this thing on ESPN Kobe Bryant has a details thing and he went mm. and spent 20 minutes saying what LeBron should do and the key thing he said the whole time this is Kobe Bryant pretending to be LeBron is catch the ball on the block near the basket when they're on the block is right near the basket mm. LeBron never caught the ball there he would catch the ball far away 15 feet 20 feet away they passed then J.R. Smith would try to go one on one and just shoot shots yeah. um, they were running no offense. No. They were not hustling on defense. How many times did Boston pass the ball? And on the fifth pass, that one person standing wide open and looking for a shot. It was all day long. I mean, when you look at Boston's lineup, Marcus Morris, eight years in the league. He's been with five teams. He's a journeyman. Al Horford, 11 years in the league. He was the Florida star, but he was in Atlanta. And he's their max player, their star player. Mm. But really, 14 points, eight rebounds. He's not a star. Tatum, Jason Tatum is a rookie from Duke. At Duke, he never played anything like this. I would never expect <laughs> him to be a superstar. Jalen Brown is the second year from California. He was the third pick in the draft. And his first year, he averaged six points a game. Then he averages 14-5. And then you have only three guys on the bench, really. Rozier, Baines, and Smart. Uh, this team is not that great if you look at the paper. Now, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum in a couple years might be considered amazing and great. And we'll say they are one of the top two players of, you know, the, of the game. But right now, it is crazy to think that they're be- they just won by 25 points on the Cavaliers. I mean, this is not the team. They lost Isaiah from last year. They lost Crowder. They lost Olympic. They lost Bradway. But I'll tell you what. Brad Stevens knows how yeah. to coach games and he knows oh, how to God. develop players. I mean, look what he did to Tatum so far this year. He looked what he did to Rozier. Looks at what he's done to Brown. They've improved. This is why everybody's looking for the next LeBron or next star. He took players and just made them great. And I'm questioning Thomas last year. Yeah, and I'm questioning if they go Crowder or Linux Bradley, when they leave the team, they're worse off. So you, whoever he takes, they improve. When they leave Boston, they get worse. Yeah. That was going to be my question for you. I was this Cleveland, you know, blowing the game out of lack of effort, or Brad Stevens out coaching? The Cleveland Cavaliers. Well, clearly, I do not understand why Tristan Thompson doesn't play. Now, I heard he's going to pro- start game, start two, game yeah. two. But yeah. why didn't he start game one? He was the only one. They, it was The Cavs got out to a 7-4 lead, and then suddenly it was 29-9. 
and they were being out rebounded fourteen to three on rebounds. On, you, it was twenty five two run. Uh, Thompson was only inserted at the last minute, and he still ended to tie the game for twelve rebounds. There's got to be some sort of conditioning that that we just don't know about. That you know he's either asking for that or something. I mean, because it doesn't make sense at this point. When he's played, he's been the difference maker. Um, you know, f- for that team. So for him not starting, I, I would have to say it's they're trying to limit his minutes because he's not conditioned from coming back from the injury. But that's the only thing I can think of. I think Tyrone Lou's obsessed with playing Corver and applying George. Hill and uh, J.R. Smith, and one of those guys has got to sit because mm-hmm. Love on defense was horrendous. Al Horford scored seven out of eight times he got the ball when yeah. Love guarded him. You need another rim protector in there and someone yeah. to get rebounds and hustle. Thompson, the moment he got in the game, was diving after the. I don't care if he's missing shots or whatever, but just so so some hustle. The Cavaliers were extremely lazy. Yeah, and and and, and to, when we look at this, right? Let's look at the let's look at this game, okay? LeBron James is not going to have seven turnovers again. He's not going to be a minus 32. I re- point to the fact the last time it happened, it was, what, five years ago? Um, and also, too, when you look at it, I mean, they missed their first 14 three-pointers. I mean, this is a team that kind of got hot against the Raptors, and especially LeBron, too, you know, not making one three-pointer. They were four from 26 from deep. I mean, 15% from, from, from three where uh, um, Boston was almost 40%. I mean, 11, 11 for 30. So, you know, it's it's... When you watch the game, it, it, it felt like they just couldn't get over the hump. But, I mean, they just missed a lot of shots. And I felt like they missed a lot of open shots, too, from three. So it's not some revelation where, yes, I, I know Brad Stevens is a great coach. But when you cut down the turnovers, especially from your best player, the best player in the, the world, in LeBron, and you hit some of those threes, I mean, this is a different game. So I'm not overvaluing it too much. Like Ira said, a lot of confidence in the Cavs to come back. But, you know, you, you got to look at those numbers and, and, and say to yourself, there's no way the Cavs are going to hit four three-pointers, you know, out of 30 shots, uh, you know, in game two. Uh, Ira, that, that, that is my question, though. Do you think they're in trouble? You don't seem to think so. What if they lose game two? Hey, tomorrow night at 830, we're going to find out uh, you know, how this goes. But you don't... Th- Listen, I think Cleveland with LeBron James is a better team, but I got to be a little bit concerned. What do you think? LeBron wasn't concerned. I mean, he's he's had these clunk. I call them clunker games. He's had games <laughs> this year. He was lost by Indiana by thirty four points. They came back and won the series last year. Game three when they were up two zero against Boston, they went. They had just beat Boston by forty four points. They came back to Cleveland and lost the game. Um, in my when he's with Miami against Indiana, he scored seven points one game and was two for ten shooting. I mean, he he they came back and won that series. So he, even the Spurs series when I pointed out in 2013, that one game where he lost by 36, had 15 points, that's the one, the Ray Allen shot, that won that series. Mm. So even in series that he's won, he's had these horrendous games, and everyone says, Jordan never had that game, which I would say, (laughs) but the point is, I think that's why LeBron's not concerned. He's like, LeBron was like, they were interviewing him, he's like, look, I've done this, I've been down, I've been down 3-1, who else here has been down 3-1 in the NBA Finals? I have, I've come back, we'll come back, I'm not really nervous about 1-0 to Boston. What do you think the final of the series is? I think think it's 4-1. I think he's going to come back and win the next 4 Wow, that's a bold prediction, Ira. I'd love to see that happen. Um, You guys want to move on to Houston Golden State. This kicks off tonight, 9 o'clock. This might be the the finals. I mean, yeah, this, this is, is awesome. we see this a lot now in the NBA where the Western Conference finals is really what everybody's tuning in for. Ira, who you got? Well, I spent uh, four hours driving to Jacksonville, four hours driving back, <laughs> and everyone's talking about there's Paul, Chris Paul, James Harder for Houston, and then Thompson and Curry, and they were talking about the Houston's bench and how far Houston's improved, and I listened to a caller, not a caller, actually an expert, talk for 15 minutes about the series, and they didn't mention one name, Kevin Durant, because once you start e- equating everything out and, not, and, and Xing things out, there's no... There's no, they have nothing. Houston cannot account for Kevin Durant. At all. Yeah, you're right. And that's that's Trevor be- Rizzo will be a sign with that. But yet again, it's Kevin Durant, yeah. so it's, it's <laughs> well, good luck. <laughs> what's going to happen is that it's almost like Houston has a night. They're playing chess, and one team has rooks and bishops and knights, and the other has rooks and bishops. But only one team has the queen, and the queen is in a way is 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 what Kevin Durant is because he can do everything. He can move every way, play every position defensively, and that's just something Houston doesn't have. Houston is. It, a, it, people, it's a scary it's a little team. They're a little older. Um, some of their players, they have five players that are over 32 years old, and they play a very up and fast game. And Golden State's like, you want to play fast? We can play fast. We want to play fast. And I just think they're going to have troubles keeping.
keeping up with that. I think you're going to see these games tight in the first half, tight in the third quarter, and then Golden State's going to get these runs. Because one thing that Houston does, very much iso ball. Harden gets yeah. the ball, spots, shoots the ball. That's their offense. Paul starts to get the ball. That's his offense. Whereas Golden State is running them, running them, running them. Now, if you have Harden and Paul chasing after Thompson and Curry, they're going to be exhausted. So they're not point. going to shoot well. So Harden, his last four games against three, shot two for ten, two for eight, one for seven, one for seven. And that's against, um, that, I mean, that's against uh, uh, Utah. And he's shooting that poorly. He's not going to, he's going to shoot worse against, I mean, they need him to score 30. They need Paul to score 30. Uh, it's, you know, they won, you can throw out a lot of their games. They played three games this year. Houston won twice. You can throw out two, most of them because they weren't, all their starters weren't playing. Yeah, Curry but missed a few of them, didn't he? They, they were, people were missing. And that, but on, in January 20th at Houston, Houston won 116 to 108. Durant scored 26, Curry 19, Thompson 8. But it was, uh, but, you know, but where Houston won was the rebounding advantage. And Capella, the, what I see in this series is the Capella has been playing so dominant, been amazing. But Draymond right. Green is just a better Capella. And so <laughs> yeah. when Draymond Green stands outside, Capella has to guard him, yeah. and then Capella can't now block all the shots. I, 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 people want this to be close. I think they think it's going to be close. I think Golden State. I think I think they win in five. I think they might. They're going to have one bad game, but I think they win the series in five. You got both series going five. I, I think that is like the general consensus. So this is too much firepower on Golden State, and it, it's somewhat of a two-man show. I mean, Capella, like you said, but we've, he's the poor man's Draymond. So this series, I want Houston to be competitive. I like this team, and I like underdogs. Not that I want to see Boston beat Cleveland. I want to see LeBron in the finals. It's LeBron James. But I would love to see it. Sean, how do you see this series going? How many games? You know, I... I... I think I think it even goes seven. I mean, I think what's key here, right, is is definitely for Golden State. If they're gonna if they're gonna win this in five, I mean, they gotta. They I, I feel like they got a sweep here in, in Houston, you know, and I, and I really believe that only because you, when it comes down to it, right, you know, Houston's fans are gonna be rabid. They've been asking for this all year. You know, it's Chris Paul's first chance in the Western Conference Finals, so a lot of people that you know don't start tuning in until you know they don't watch the first round of the NBA playoffs because it's just long and there's. There's a lot of, you know, just uh, quick uh, um, uh, sweeps and stuff like that. You know, they start tuning in now. I mean, Chris Paul has his career, you know, legacy on the line right here. You know? And when you when you line up these teams and stuff, I do think they fairly shake out well. You know, and you're looking at the matchups here, you know, Capella versus Draymond. You're going to have a Riz on Durant, P.J. Tucker, um, um, even with P.J. Tucker. I mean, you could you could put a Riz on Clay and put P.J. Tucker on, on, on Durant. You know, it's is there more firepower on Golden State? Yes. I just think the way that Houston has been playing, that ISO pick and pop up top, you know, with those two guys, I mean, especially just that last round, I mean, they were playing unbelievable. I mean, for, for Chris Paul to go out and drop 47 because Harden was mm-hmm. having a bad night, you know, and, and, and pretty much put up a triple-double to seal that, um, you know, and, and I thought they dismantled uh, Utah, which was a better team than New Orleans, and then at times it kind of looked like uh, uh, the Golden State Warriors were struggling. They have one good stretch every game where they kind of build that lead and then they – and then they survived that. Um, but I think to win in Houston, especially tonight, right, this is where we're going to start, uh, Golden State has to come out and silence that crowd because that crowd is going to be going bonkers. And that's and that's where I think uh, Golden State really is going to have to step up and, and build that lead early. They're going to have to silence and eliminate that crowd you know, before the half starts. And Golden State has, I think, one major advantage over Houston is that Golden State can change. Like, I think Houston plays one way. Right, one if way. Golden State wants to go big, they put Jamal McGee or Zaja Pachula in, and suddenly they have a big lineup. They can go to the Hamptons 5. They can go to the yeah, big lineup. Point. They can move. I like this Kevin Looney from UCLA. I think they have more pieces off the bench, more versatile players. But if they want to go big and put McGee in the game, it sort of forces Houston. They, they can make, as I said, chess they have more chess pieces. <laughs> they have more pieces, and I just think they can move their pieces around, and they're more unpredictable, and they're going to win. It's 734, Iron Sports, 95.9, True Oldies Channel. Dan Wallach, our sports gambling attorney, joins us at 740. Also, Jeff Bauer, general manager, Detroit Pistons, at 750. Let's get into hockey for a minute. Uh, this has been one of the most odd hockey playoffs I've ever seen. I don't think anybody predicted to see Winnipeg and Vegas playing <laughs> oh. each other. And we're going to see... Uh, Our ga- houses. Yeah, we're going to see ga- game two of that tonight. Also, uh, you know, Alexander Ovechkin, every year we see him get ousted. And this year, he's just phenomenal. And that team's playing good. I predicted to my friends, 
going into uh, the, this Tampa Bay uh, Washington series. Lightning and five. Lightning are stacked. stacked. They've got their fifth defenseman will be the number one on half the teams in the league. They are a very good team. And what does the Capitals do? Come in and beat their pants off in their house. Two games. This series is going back to Washington. Sean, is this Ovechkin's time? I feel like it is. I mean, he finally got one. He didn't have to face the Rangers. Two, he finally got past the kid. So that that you know the weight that's been on his shoulders. Those were the two kryptonites. They can't beat the Rangers, and he can't beat Sid. You know, so to now be here, you know, and even as everybody thought, I mean, I just thought Tampa Bay was just going to steamroll everybody on their way to the Cup. You know, forget just the East. I mean, I thought, I mean, just on paper, uh, the way they play when you watch the games, um, you know, the young goalie, everybody. I mean, they're stacked. The D's huge. Uh, They got too many skaters when Stamp. Coast is your third or fourth best skater. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's Ovi's time, and I think I think that team is playing for him. You know, you see this sometimes. You know, I don't want to. You know, I'm going to cross uh, sports, and I'm not saying that Ovi's going to retire after this season. But it's kind of like when Ray Lewis went out and won the Super Bowl. You know, the, for the, to end it. You know, was were the Ravens the best team in the NFL? No, but they went out and they had a mission to go out and win one. And say, send Ray Lewis out on top. I mean, mm-hmm. that's kind of what I'm seeing with this team where they're outperforming. I mean, at the end of the day, we're talking about a Caps team that's obviously extremely talented. But it's just nice to see because Ovi's always been one of my favorite players. Just because the attitude that goes with it and the, the brashness and he's you know physical and um, you know just grips it and rips it from the wing. But at the end of the day, I do. I, I think it's his time and it's um, – you know, I think we're just in for a great series. I, you know, like I said, I thought Tampa Bay was just going to mop the floor yeah. with them. I, I thought Tampa is stacked, stacked. And now that they've won two games in Tampa, this is Ovechkin's time. Yeah. And I don't think there's anybody on Vegas or Winnipeg that can step up and no. beat Alexander Ovechkin and uh, Jenny Kuznetsov and just how they're playing right now as a team. As I've watched them dismantle Tampa, which I thought was going to win the Stanley Cup all season, so. I think this is Ovechkin's time. I, I really do. And a lot's going to happen in the, in the West, and th- those teams play totally different. Let's talk about that for a second, guys. This series is going to be interesting. Winnipeg took a one nothing lead, and I look at Winnipeg. There's not a, there's not a, a superstar on that roster what, anywhere. Blake, Blake Wheeler? It, I mean, Blake Wheeler, Mark Scheifele. There, there's some players. These guys would be third liners on, yeah. on, on pe- the Penguins, and they're leading this team to the Stanley Cup right now. Sean, who you got, to, who you got for this series? I, th- I still think we have to pick Vegas. You know, I think it comes down to, especially in the playoffs, it's it's who's – a lot of the times it's like, okay, if we match up similar, um, who's got the better goalie, you know, and, and, and having Flurry, Flurry back yeah. there. You know, the biggest thing for Winnipeg, and I think my biggest surprise was, is you look at what they did, what the Jets did in the offseason. They went out and got Steve Mason, right, who who played pretty well for, for the for That's the 100 Flyers. years old. Exactly. Yeah. But that's because they didn't have belief – in, in their young guys. I mean, I remember when Hutchinson got brought up. Oh, he'll be the savior. He's young. Then they had um, uh, their starter now, uh, uh, Hellbeck. Um, yeah, Connor so Hellyabeck. Hellyabeck. Yeah, he comes up. You know, and ha- I mean, he had a great year. I mean, 44 and he's 11. A Vezina, he's a Vezina finalist. Exactly. Yeah. But no one expected that. And he, I even think he's playing outside of his, you know, oh, you know, he's he's playing above and beyond this year. I don't expect this from him moving forward because we've just never seen it from these guys. So um, I think they're a huge surprise. And But we're going back and we're looking at these teams. Seems like um, it kind of. Let's go back to it and look at basketball. Boston Celtics. They're outperforming, but they're just well coached. I mean, they play well as a team. You know, um, I still think it's. I think Vegas will win this. When you watch that game, they just physically dominated um, the Jets. I mean, they were beating them up, and I don't know if the Jets can handle that all. Uh, I, I don't. I don't know if the Jets can handle that all series. Uh, but but time will tell. So, but I'm going to go with the the better goalie out of the two, and I think I think Vegas will find a way. I'm going to. Go the opposite way, and, and you know you brought up a good point. Winnipeg's beating them up. Yeah, you know when you have Dustin Bufflin, he's the best two way forward in the league. league he's the yeah. hardest defensive forward in the league. He beats you up, and you, you know Patrick Lyonne was an amazing, amazing draft pick, uh, number two overall just two years ago, and this guy's looking like a superstar already. Mm-hmm. You're right; it's smaller names, but I think it's going to happen, and, and I don't know why. And like I said, this. Nobody predicted these two teams no, being in, in no. the in the conference finals. Vegas was amazing. Vegas was the uh, the number two, oh, number three overall, number one overall seed. Winnipeg only won four more games than them. They just didn't have as many ties. They had more losses, but Winnipeg actually won more, more games. games this year. Yeah. So you know when you look at it and you start to think about it, this team can do it. But I, I don't know, Sean. Like looking back, 
I don't think that either of these teams can stand with Tampa or with Washington. No, no. I definitely think whoever wins the cup is coming from the East. I mean, you know, if put it this way. If, if Ovi gets put into the, the Stanley Cup. It's going to be Oh, my God. Phenomenal. Think about, yeah, think about the series that guy's going to have just because of who he is. And when, you know, it, it just, like we talked about, I mean, to not, to never get to this point, even this point. You know, uh, to lose, like you said, the Rangers being kryptonite, Sid, Sid the Kid being his kryptonite, to have that off his shoulders, I mean, he's just rocking and rolling right now, and, and the Caps look amazing. So um, even if somehow Tampa Bay comes back down 0-2, um, I just think both teams in the East are just superior to the West. 741, Iron Sports, 95.9, True Oldies Channel. Very special guest with us right now is Jeff Bauer, General Manager of the Detroit Pistons, joining us here. Jeff, I want to thank you so much for stopping by. Great to be with you, Ira. Well, Jeff, um, you and I share something in common, our hometowns uh, from Altoona, Pennsylvania, and it's great to see. I mean, you've had an amazing, successful career in the NBA and in college also. Um, So thanks again for coming on the show. Uh, So much happening in sports today. Um, Can I start with the the gambling issue in terms of, uh, I mean, that's an amazing, uh, very interesting decision with the Supreme Court. Uh, It seems like Adam Silver has been in front of the ball on this. Where do you see the, uh, how do you feel about the gambling? Uh, uh, decision. Well, I think uh, this was something that is not totally unexpected, and many people did really uh, point to the day when uh, uh, you know when the ruling came down and and uh, sort of changed the landscape of of professional gambling. Uh, I think the the integrity of the game is always the the highest uh, goal. And I, I think with the controls and the amount of uh, oversight that will likely be in place, um, I can see it uh, uh, just being a part of the, the uh, culture, much like it already is. Um, in terms of the, the basketball and how basketball has been changing, more three-point shooters, uh, more three-point shooting, I know your team with Andre Drummond, just an, a tremendous center, how do you see the future? Do you see it maybe coming back to having the strong centers, or do you see it emerging as somehow a mix between the two? Uh, where do you see basketball in the next year or two going? Well, I think the trend is is heading further and further away from the basket with mm-hmm. the three-point shooting and the what was once looked at as stretch fours is now spreading into stretch fives. Mm-hmm. And uh, the openness of the floor makes it, near impossible to to defend in the manner that uh, teams were used to going back to two to three to five years ago. So I, I continue to see that coming, but I also see that there's a place for the dominance of a big man. Yeah. And when you have someone like uh, a Drummond, for instance, who can, has the athleticism and the second jump instinct that allows him to be a phenomenal rebounder. There's a place for that in today's game, no matter how much three-point mm-hmm. shooting there is, because, you know, let's face it, there's going to be a lot of misses. And uh, teams that can gather two-thirds of the misses uh, have a huge advantage. And you made it, this year, you made a, the boldest trade of, of anyone during the whole season by bringing in Blake Griffin. Uh, and you know, he came in and he played, first of all, he was healthy when he played for you. He played very well for you. I mean, he, he, and he seemed to like be a great teammate. And, and all the things people said in the Clippers, he, it seemed like he was, you know, certainly giving 100% effort, putting up some good stats and, and working well with Andre. Um, what do you think without, without the training camp? So what do you think about for next year when you have a whole training camp and a whole season, how those two can mesh together? Well, I think, the, I think they'll mesh together very nicely and i think they're the uh uh the biggest benefit of one player will be the other because blake's versatility and his ability to handle the ball and his increased effectiveness from the three-point line uh will really serve andre well and andre's increased effectiveness with his passing his uh improvement at the foul line and his ability to put the ball on the floor for a one-dribble drive now are all areas of his game that he's built. And so I see their strengths complementing each other, and I, I see the return of a healthy Reggie Jackson uh, 
being uh, the the piece to a group that's that's pretty strong and effective and and frankly is a playoff team uh, if they play enough games together. Wow. My uh, co-host here is uh, Sean has a qu- McGregor has a question. Hey, uh, hey, Jeff. Um, obviously, we just saw the news. You know, Stan Van. You know, leaving um, with the draft approaching. Is there a sense of maybe urgency to kind of fill that spot? Is that you know, not too often do we get a you know a general manager on uh, of an NBA team on here. So we kind of just want to you know like get into your head. You know, is that something of a pressing need to kind of align that? Have have a head coach in and um, you know ready for the draft? Maybe to kind of you know find a scheme fit and and you know and all that. So I just kind of want to see if you know where where is the organization's mindset behind that right now with the draft approaching in uh in june i think the biggest thing is that uh, as an organization you, you make the best long-term decisions of course and you take the uh approach that you, you gather as much data and as much information as you need to to be able to make uh decisions that really shape the the whole uh face of the franchise mm-hmm. And so our ownership group is is currently, you know, working on uh, a number of things along those lines that are uh, going to have a huge impact on how the organization goes forward. The the draft itself is being handled by uh, the front office and and uh, my staff as as we have throughout the years, and uh, we're right on target for all of our draft preparation. Uh, the the uh, coaching process is is something that uh, will obviously be beneficial, uh, but the, I think getting it right is more important than getting it done. Yeah, <laughs> Coach, um, you drafted last year Luke Kennard. I'm, I went to Duke Law School, so I'm a big fan of Duke. And and I'm, Luke had a, had a very good uh, rookie cr- campaign. Uh, what do, what do you think about Luke, and how how do you think he's going to keep improving and becoming an NBA player? Well, I think he's he's immensely talented uh, as a basketball player. His shooting ability, you know, and shooting in the neighborhood of forty percent from three point range as a rookie is was outstanding. His passing was a, a big benefit for other players on the floor. His approach and, and uh, commitment to the game and willingness to work at his craft are all things that are going to allow him to improve and grow as a player. And as his maturity, confidence, and assertiveness grows, so will his production. So we have uh, we have high hopes for him, and uh, really pleased with what he's accomplished as a as a rookie, and and know that there's bigger days ahead. And one last question, Jeff. Um, it, there's been a lot made about analytics in the NBA. I kept stats when I was at the University of Pennsylvania. So I kept stats for four years. I went to every practice and every game and kept stats every for every possession. But also there's idea of a feel for the game, be able to make the right decisions and who's playing well and not. How do you how does how do you in terms of the approach merge the analytics to the to the feel concept? Well, the, you know, there's there's a lot of ways of of looking at it, but our our approach has always been is that if you can't measure it, you can't mon- if you can't monitor it, you can't measure it. Yeah. And so uh, we we do like to chart things that we feel are, are are key points that drive winning and drive outcomes. And those are the things that uh, we like to track and find ways to uh, improve and find ways to really make them important throughout the organization. Uh, but the key thing is is finding the right things and measuring the things that really matter as opposed to trivial uh, statistics. And that's the hard that's the hard part is drilling down to finding what really creates outcomes and what really creates uh, winning in basketball. Thanks a lot, Jeff, for coming on today. I really appreciate you taking time out. I know this is a really busy time, so I really appreciate you coming in. Thank you so much. No problem. I'm I'm speaking to you live from the combine in Chicago, <laughs> and we're down here in West Palm. And there's a lot of good players out here playing. So, and I know there's a lot of Piston fans. Uh, this is West Palm, and a lot of people have escaped the oh, yeah. cold winters of Detroit to come down here in West Palm. So, I see a lot of Piston uh, gear walking around, and uh, you have a lot of fans down here. Great. Well, good to good to be with you, Ira. Take care. Thank Thanks, you. Jeff. Thanks.
750, Iron Sports, 95.9 True Oldies Channel. You just heard from Jeff Bauer, General Manager of the Detroit Pistons. Some great questions, and I love when we have guests like this, that you you can pick their brains and truly get an honest opinion from somebody who's in the know better than anybody in, in the entire world. Um, we've got another great guest on right now, and this guy is the person to talk to about something massive that happened today in the world of sports. He's Dan Wallach, a sports gambling attorney. Dan, this must be a very interesting 24 hours for you, just thinking about the prospects of what's going to happen in this country over the next year or so as far as gambling goes. Yeah, I mean, for, for so many, thanks for having me on, Ira. It's a pleasure. Um, you know, for, for so many years, this has been sort of a niche issue, and today it just exploded into the mainstream. Everybody is covering it. It is not only a major national story about, you know, law, but it has become the dominant story in all of the sports uh, and business, you know, publications today. Every major national newspaper has covered it. This is front-page stuff, and it's going to you know, really transform, uh, you know, the sports and the gaming industries in the United States. So, uh, Dan, the, we, to help our listeners understand, because sometimes I mean, I've been following this and you've been following this, but for other people, it's like, wait, what do you mean? I could go out and gamble right now. Like, what exactly it, what happened today? I mean, it, I'm <laughs> going to explain. It's 1992. There's the Professional Sports and Amateurs Act, and that was sort of eliminated gambling. But maybe give the listeners an idea of what just happened today and uh, in terms of what the Supreme Court actually ruled. Sure, sure. Well, well to, to your point that sports gambling is so commonplace, well, it is largely illegal. Other than Nevada, 99% of the sports wagering on, on North American sporting events take place in illegal markets where there are no protections, and the states aren't able to tap into any of those revenue streams because of the federal law that had been enacted in 1993 called the PASPA, which stands for the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act. That act prevents states from authorizing or licensing sports gambling schemes in their states. And today the Supreme Court declared that that federal law is unconstitutional because while Congress is free to regulate sports gambling, it can't tell the states not to do that. So if the, if, if the federal government is going to regulate, then it has to step aside and allow the states to do it. And by preventing the states from uh, regulating sports gambling, uh, the federal government via, via Congress has violated state rights under the Tenth Amendment's anti-commandeering principle. So this is a very big Tenth Amendment case, which could have far-reaching uh, you know, effects in areas that go beyond sports gambling. could be gun restrictions and uh, immigration and, and, and sanctuary cities, all sorts of laws that states want to pass. Uh, now, uh, today's decision could provide some uh, opportunities for states to legislate in areas that they haven't been allowed to wade into previously. So this is a big case on sports betting grounds and on federalism principles. And also it was a 7263 decision. So it was there's liberals like Elaine Kagan, some liberals on the court and the conservatives both sided with the issue, which was interesting uh, on this. But the question I have would be in terms of people think – can I just go out and bet now? I'm in Florida right now. I, you can't just go out and bet just because it's legal. The states now have to step in. Explain, no. yeah, explain that. Right, right. It's not even legal. The Supreme Court did not legalize sports betting. It simply removed the impediment for state governments so to do so. Yeah. So as a result of today's decision, any state that wants to create a legal framework, a regulatory framework for sports betting can now do so. But Florida hasn't acted yet, and uh, to date, only four states have passed laws uh, to allow sports gambling that were that were contingent upon the Supreme Court results. So I think we're going to see an increase in activity at, in the state legislatures as their sessions begin to draw to a close. I think they're going to try to beat the buzzer and, and pass sports betting laws to keep pace with New Jersey and Mississippi, West Virginia and Pennsylvania. So uh, I wouldn't quite call it or characterize it as a gold rush, but I think states are going to move fairly quickly uh, to become fat, you know, first movers in this space. Otherwise, they're going to cede valuable territory to states like New Jersey, West Virginia, Mississippi, uh, and I may be leaving one out. So it, it becomes a, an arms race for the states to, to kind of capitalize on this opportunity. Well, we're here in West Palm Beach. I know your office is down in, in Florida, in, in Fort Lauderdale. But I guess where's Florida stand in this? I mean, you would think that there's more interest in sports in this state than almost any other state in the country in terms of all the snowbirds have come down here and have their passions for their sports teams and the sports TV ratings. West Palm Beach is always in the top two or three in the country in terms of the sports TV ratings. Where do you see Florida moving? 
states in the country to capitalize on I mean, in faced with a choice of uh, going to Las Vegas for the Super Bowl or, 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 you know, coming to Miami Beach or Fort Lauderdale to wager at some of the nearby racinos or horse racetracks, I think Florida presents a, a much more golden opportunity uh, than most other states. But we're behind the times. Uh, we can't even pass a fantasy sports law. <laughs> and, gambling, and gambling expansion in Florida has been tabled for the last couple of years because of the, you know, sort of the, the battling going on about the, around the Seminole, uh, Seminole tribes, tribe. you know, you know, tribal gaming compact with the state. So because the tribes have exclusivity to certain forms of gaming, it's kind of complicated to pass uh, any piece of legislation relating to gambling in Florida without potentially being in violation of the tribe's compact. Yes. And then to complicate matters even further, um, there's a ballot question uh, on, on the ballot this Propose uh, getting voter into any future gambling. So, if that ballot initiative, if that ballot measure passes, it may not even be up to the legislature in future years to uh, legalize sports betting. It might have to be subject to voter approval. So, I, I think this is the last opportunity for the. This could be the last some time for the legislature to act. So, you may see a special session called by the governor, not just for sports betting, but for a number of issues relating to gambling expansion. And I wouldn't dismiss it as impossible, but it, but it is a long shot uh, for Florida to be you know, one of the first states out of the gate. Although in three to five years, assuming this ballot measure you know, fails, I see Florida eventually entering the, uh, the landscape. And, and uh, they're not going to sit up yet. And also, I keep hearing, though, about this 1% that the NBA has been asking for the other leagues. What, what does this mean that they want to take a 1% cut? And how, what does that mean? And is that, is, what's the future of that saying, well, the NBA, they called it, Silver called it an integrity fee, that they <laughs> want to take 1% uh, on this in terms of they need that money then to get better? Because I guess there's no, the officials have no integrity now. So they're with the 1% fee, it'll make, give them integrity. So what is that? Have you, what's the traction on that? Well, well, that's the battleground that's going to play out in state legislatures across the country. The leagues, the NBA, Major League Baseball, and now the NFL and, and NHL are going to be lobbying state legislatures and soon Congress uh, to enact uh, sports being, you know, laws and regulations that provide the leagues with some measure of uh, protection and safeguarding of the integrity of their sports and built into that is what what the leagues feel is a is their need for not only an integrity fee but a rights fee. After all, they the leagues do create the foundation of the product which casinos are now in a position to commercially exploit. So the leagues aren't asking for one percent; they're asking for one quarter of one percent. I think that's been uh, misreported in a lot of media outlets recently. The leagues have been willing to come to the negotiating table to try to find a compromise with the gaming industry. However, it's the gaming industry that, that, that refuses to budge off their zero number. And until the leagues and the gaming industry can find common ground, I think passing legislation in different states is going to be a very tall order until there's a consensus. 758, Iron Sports, 95.9 True Oldie Channel. We're speaking with Dan Wallach, a sports gambling attorney based out of Fort Lauderdale. Um, Dan, before we let you go, this is one of my questions. And, and you know, we, Ira brought it up earlier about how the Seminoles and some of these casinos in Florida really hold a lot of weight as far as what's allowed. If this does pass in Florida, do you think it'll be full on where places like, um, you know, Hollywood uh, Dog Racing Casino, the Palm Beach Kennel Club, Will they be able to offer this as well, or do you think it'll be pigeonholed just to casinos? Well, if the Seminole Tribe has their way, and they may get their way, uh, sports betting could be confined, uh, you know, to to you know tribal gaming, uh, you know, reservations and 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 you know off reservation venues. But uh, the way I see it playing out is, uh, uh, you know, I, I just don't envision racetracks. And high lie and the dog tracks being cut out entirely because if, if the tribes get it, uh, the rest of the commercial gaming industry in the state of Florida will, will just, you know, I wouldn't say disappear, but it will take a major hit. And there's, there's no way that the racetracks and the dog tracks will be able to compete. They're, right now they can't compete with the Seminoles, yeah. but if you give the Seminoles that and not give it to the racetracks and the dog tracks and the high life tauntauns, you're creating a, uh, a very unfair 
a marketplace. And I think from a legislate, from a lobbying perspective, there's absolutely no way uh, Florida's commercial gaming industry will allow uh, the tribes to have an exclusive on sports betting. I think ultimately this could this will get negotiated, and the tribes will certainly have a seat at the table. And if anyone gets sports betting, it will definitely be the tribes. And then the question becomes, how prevalent will it become among commercial gaming interests, such as the racetracks and the dog tracks? I think everybody's going to have it within 10 years. Dan, uh, thank, from thank, the outset, Dan yeah. th- thanks. We're coming up to a heartbreak at 8. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, I know you've been swamped. I know everybody's been trying to get you on. You've been mm-hmm. amazing. And I really appreciate you taking the time to come out. And this is a very tricky, difficult topic. And uh, it's hard to break down. But I know you've been following it for years. And you're the expert in the country. And it's, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. And it's my honor to be on your show as well, and thanks for making time for me today, and I'd love to come back uh, anytime you're willing to have me on in the future. So thank you very much, Ira. Dan, you will absolutely be a guest uh, going forward here on Ira on Sports. Thank you so much uh, once again for popping by. 801, Ira on Sports, 95.9, True Oldies Channel, Mike and Sean. We're here as well. We're going to go a little over. We do it every week on the <laughs> show because we got some good stuff to talk about. Um, you know, Ira, it's so funny. We're, we're talking about uh, sports gambling being legalized. The biggest gambling day in the world is the Kentucky Derby. We're looking at the 143rd running of the Preakness at Pimlico this Saturday. You had your friend Mikey Averone on, uh, and he predicted Justify weeks ago. Mike's really busy right now. We couldn't get him on tonight. What do you think is going to happen? You know, looking into the Preakness, do we think that Justify's got a triple crown shot? Well, I mean, everyone's saying it. He's he's at three to five right now, which means it's going to go down. It's it's yeah. going to be like it'll be a point where you bet one dollar to win ten dollars, ten dollars to win one dollar. Yeah. It's going to be really hard to make money betting justifies. So you have to pick the other horses. Um, the Good Magic, who finished second in the Derby, is running in this, and then there's some other horses that didn't run in the Derby that just somehow missed the Derby. And, Typically, and, they're Maryland horses. They'll bring in local horses that have run at the track to for more competition. Yeah, and there's an interesting horse called Quip. Um, it's seven to one right now. It ran the Tampa Bay Derby and it was. Uh, second in the Arkansas Derby, and it's owned by the same owners that Justify. Mm -hmm. And you would think that they'd say, no, I don't want any competition. I want my horse to go for the triple crown. But the thinking is that Justify is such a great horse that it will win. Now, uh, Michael did text me. After the Kentucky Derby, um, they showed uh, Justify walking around. It looked like it was limping around a little bit, and they did report that it was a heel bruise. But then it ran, and it didn't show any effects of it. So it it looks like, I mean, the Preakness, for people to understand, it's a mile and 16th. It's much shorter than the Derby, Mm -hmm. and it's but it's much shorter, of course, than the Belmont and uh, there's less horses that are run and it's so usually if you just take the lead there's not going to be the the best horse usually wins the Preakness because they're not going to be battling 20 horses like in there might be seven or eight horses starting the Preakness or it's 20 in the Kentucky Derby no you're absolutely right on that and you know we talk about I do think he's going to go off at one to five or one to nine you're gonna you're not going to get paid taking justify to win there are other ways to make money on this though and and, uh, you know I'll, I'll discuss that in just a second, but Ira, you bring up a good point. It's not a 20-horse field anymore. You know, the exacta in the um, Kentucky Derby paid $130, and the favorite won the race, still paid $130 because it's just so many horses, so much money being distributed. It's not going to be like that. Uh, we, we'll be lucky if we get 10 uh, you know, to Pimlico. It's probably going to be an eight-horse field. There are ways to make money. You use Justify as your key. What you do is throw out three horses. Throw out three horses that will not hit the exotic, will not hit the try or the super or, or the exacta. Throw them out. You take Justify on top, which makes it cheaper. He's going to win the race in your head, and then you just box everybody else who has a chance. Uh, if you narrow down to five horses that have a chance to try, that bet will cost you about 20 bucks. And you hit the try, you're going to make 120 minimum. So, so there, there is a strategy to this. I got to tell you, I, I do think that Justify is going to roll over this field, but I don't know about the Triple Crown. We talked about it last week. A lot of the good horses like Bolt Oro, who we thought was going to run, um, is not going to run. And Bolt Oro, I think, is going to be the biggest competition in the Belmont coming up three weeks from now. So, you know, th- there are ways to make money in this IRA. I don't know. Are you going to throw some cash on this? Well, I, I, I would love to bet it. I think it's exciting to watch. Uh, I've been to the Preakness before. It is a dump. There's 140,000 really? people there. There's nowhere. Talk about parking. You're, there is nowhere to park. Um, there's the bathrooms don't work. It is, they're thinking about moving it to Laurel, Laurel, which is the other track in mm. Maryland. Um, they have no ability to put any more money, but it's a big party. They have the whole infield is full of people. It's it's fun to go to. It's an event to go to, but it's certainly it's not like the Belmont and not like the Kentucky Derby. 
Belmont is something that I've never been to. Being from New York, that's really sad. And I can't wait to talk about uh, this more, hopefully with Mike E. of her own, coming up in future weeks here on Iron Sports. Before we wrap this up, Ira, you were having a great night Saturday night watching what you say is one of the best fights we've seen in a long time. Is Lomachenko versus Linares. Tell us about it. Well, just real quick, Lomachenko is now with Mayweather not fighting, is considered now to be the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world. And he was fighting at 130. He's the best 130-pound fighter. He's fighting at 135 against Jorge Linares, who's a champion. So actually, it's very rare that you get these two great champions fighting. And uh, Lomachenko has only fought 11 times, but he's won two titles, and he was an Olympic champion from the Ukraine. And what's interesting about him, he's in ballet for eight years in gymnastics. So that's why his, (laughs) his footwork is amazing. But it was a great fight. Uh, Linares is an amazing fighter, tremendous. And still, uh, Lomachenko knocked him out in the 10th round. And so now people really consider him at 30 years old as the pound-for-pound best fighter in the world. And I bet you nobody knows who he is right now. It, it, you know, it, it blew up social media. Everyone talked. Because I think that's what happened. Nobody knew who he was. It blew up social media. And everyone's like, wow, this guy's a pretty good boxer. You follow boxing much more than I do, Ira. What do you think? Can we see, see like a successful six years out of Lomachenko? Well, he's a lightweight, and sometimes it's hard to win at those smaller divisions. People want to see bigger fighters, and so I think he's going to have a great career. He seems to have everything. He seems to have the power and the speed and just watch him. I, the one commentator I said is they would love to have seen Lomachenko fight Mayweather. When Mayweather was, yeah. was lighter, when, when Mayweather weighs What's 20 pounds. now, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, But it would have been neat to see that type of match because he's very similar to how Mayweather used to fight, which he used to throw more punches, and he's fast and avoids the punches and has great f- footwork. So it's, if you get a chance. I mean, the neat thing is he fought on ESPN. You mm. just had to go with your app and you could have watched it. So I, I think that if you get a chance to watch him and you like boxing, certainly watch him fight. Before we wrap it up, Ira, do you think that that's a downfall for boxing and now we're seeing fights that are awesome on ESPN? I mean, w- there's not really pay-per-views lined up for boxing. It's, I think it's good for boxing. People are going to have to start following it. I know that ESPN Plus is that new ESPN that they're putting it on. They're going to try to if, as long as you make more boxing available for people, I think it's good. I, the pay-per-views of $100 a, de- $100 a show is, didn't make any sense. Yeah. No, it's absolutely ridiculous. And when you don't know the play, you don't know the boxers. Once a year, you can have McGregor or Mayweather, and you can have Tyson in it. But if, the, if unless Canelo, you're Triple G, yeah, like Canelo Triple G, unless it's a superstar fight, don't put it on pay per view. Yeah, I'm not paying for it. <laughs> we are just about out of time. I want to thank so much uh, Jeff Bauer, General Manager of Detroit Pistons, for stopping by. Also Dan Wallach, an excellent interview with him about the future of sports gambling in this country. Like I said, we're out of time. Though Ira, thank you so much. Sean as well. This is Ira on Sports. We'll catch up next Monday night on the True Oldie. Channel.